This episode of No Place Like Home is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3.8 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now, on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Marianne Hitt, a climate activist and director of the Beyond Coal Campaign living in the West Virginia Hills. And I'm Anna Jane Joyner, a climate activist living on the Gulf Coast of Alabama. And this is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. This season, we are bringing the light. We're exploring spirituality in all its forms and how it plays a role in the way that we face the climate crisis. You know, the climate crisis isn't something that we can beat with just technology and policy and science alone. It takes a lot of strength and courage and heart, and those are the kinds of things that many people draw from their spiritual practices. So this season, we are on a quest to gather guidance and wisdom from all different kinds of spiritual traditions. Today, a conversation with a witch. But first, Anna Jane and I have some catching up to do. Anna Jane, oh my goodness. We are both trapped in our houses in quarantine from the coronavirus. These are hard times, friends. We feel like these episodes with all these great spiritual teachers are going to actually offer you a lot of really good wisdom and tools to help you cope with your own emotions, with everything you're facing. But um, more than anything, Anna Jane, I was just thinking about how you and I have had a lot of practice at something that people are figuring out now, which is remote friendship. (laughs) I know. In some ways, I feel like I have been practicing this with you and with other friends being down here in Bama, kind of isolated, but it is a different time. And I'm so thankful for you and for my friendships and for this podcast, because I mean, I think the reality is, is These next couple of weeks are going to be some of the most difficult weeks our country has ever faced. And a lot of us are facing on really personal levels. And that's real. And it's so hard to know what to do or how to handle yourself. And some really good advice that you sent me last week when I was freaking out, (laughs) as I do from time to time, was by our Glennon Doyle, who's one of our favorite authors. And she basically just pointed out, you know, We've got to manage our expectations during this time. Like we can't expect to be our most brilliant, productive selves in the midst of a pandemic. And it's okay. I think she said, I think she said we should lower them. Lower your expectations. (laughs) Not just manage, but just like bring them way down, people. Let's just bring them down. Yeah. You're like trying to like, I mean, you're literally trying to homeschool your kid. You know, you're trying to do work if you're lucky enough to have work. If you're not, then you're worrying about bills and, you know, parents and um, just are, are literally the fabric of our society and what all this means. If you're a climate activist like us, you're also worrying about how we continue fighting climate change in the middle of a global pandemic. It's just it's a lot. We have to just take it one day at a time and give ourselves and everyone around us a lot of grace. Yeah, and it's okay if you're not going to become a Zen master or a master chef or get in the best shape of your life or whatever. Write your next out there. great novel or TV show. <laughs> exactly. Whatever you're beating yourself up about not accomplishing with all this time, um, it's okay. It's okay. And in reality, we're all going through a shared trauma together, frankly. And 
again, a lot of the guests that we talked to this season had a lot to say about that, about grieving and healing and how to grapple with these overwhelming emotions around the climate crisis. And I think a lot of it really translates uh, to this this crisis that we're in. I was texting with a friend of mine about work and how I, I feel kind of at a loss about what to do. And he, he wrote back and said, it is okay not to know what to do right now. And I was just like, oh, oh, <laughs> it's okay. To, it, it's a, he was like, I don't know. And this is one of the people I most admire in the movement. He said, I don't have a clue. I was like, oh my God, it's okay to not know what to do right now because this person doesn't either. So that made me feel a lot better. And maybe that will make you feel better too. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of us know what we're doing. None of us have been through a global pandemic before. And I do think, you know, we recorded this interview with Jamie Lee Finch actually last fall. So way before all this happened, but both her wisdom and a lot of the wisdom that we're sharing throughout the season does translate because it is about how to access spiritual grounding traditions and narratives to help us find courage and to help us find some calm in the midst of the storm. You know, we didn't plan it this way to be releasing the season in the middle of a global pandemic, but I actually do think that it's, you know, it's helpful for me to listen to these episodes because it's both applicable to the climate crisis and also this more immediate crisis. Well, and one other thing I hope everyone will take away is to reach out to your besties and lean on your faraway friendships like Anna Jane and I are doing on this podcast and at other times too, because that is really an important thing that is getting us through and I think can get you all through as well. I don't know what I would do without you, Marianne. <laughs> oh, I feel the same way. And I know all of you have someone in your life that can do the same for you. So why don't we go on to the interview? But before we do, we've been inviting our listeners to share a prayer or passage or a quote that really means a lot to you and facing crisis. And if you want to send us yours, we might include it in a future episode. Just record a voice memo on your phone, say your name and where you're from or whatever you'd like to share, and then email that to noplacelikehomepodcast at gmail.com. Today, let's hear from our friend Krista from West Virginia. My name is Krista Mastrangelo Joyce. I am a yoga teacher, a writer, and a mom living in West Virginia. And I believe that our bodies are a microcosm of the greater macrocosm of Earth. And so I work to reconnect people with loving their body home so that this love may ripple outward. I'll read you two writings that inspire me toward wonder and renewal for our world. The first is from the great conservationist and writer, Rachel Carson. She wrote, If I had influence with the good fairy, who is supposed to preside over the christening of all children, I should ask that her gift to each child in the world be a sense of wonder, so indestructible that it would last throughout life, as an unfailing antidote against the boredom and disenchantment of later years, the alienation from the sources of our strength. And this second is a piece of a poem from Dina Metzger called Leavings. This is what we have. This is what we have to work with. So give them to me. First you're dead, moldering, in the dreadful heat of your deserted cities. Then give me the iron birds in the sky, 
with their demented warbling. Last, I want your radiant soul with its eternal shimmer. Give me everything mangled and bruised, and I will make a light of it to make you weep, and we will have rain and begin again. Anna Jane, I am so excited about this episode. You interviewed Jamie Lee Finch. So please tell us all about her and how you two cross paths. Jamie is this brilliant, spirited woman who is also a witch. And we've really had a lot of strange intersections. The way that I most recently came across her is she is one of the liturgists. So she's a member of one of our favorite podcasts. But she also just wrote a book called You Are Your Own, A Reckoning with the Religious Trauma of Evangelical Christianity. I know uh, we're going to hear from her because her long spiritual journey led her to a place where she's got a lot of insights on climate and our relationship with the natural world. But it sounds like she started with a background similar to yours. Yeah, Jamie was actually raised Southern Baptist, so also raised evangelical. Um, And she did actually end up uh, kind of switching over to my dad's brand of charismatic evangelical Christianity, which basically it's just a much more kind of mystical, emotional version. They still believe in the spiritual gifts, so healing and prophecy and speaking in tongues. It's very creative. There's lots of art and music. And that dynamic it attracted quite a lot of young people like Jamie. And also like me and my upbringing, her father, um, who was a devout Southern Baptist and kind of the leader in her family, he sort of indoctrinated her or forced her into that religion. It was like the one of the most important components of his background and his childhood and his relationship to himself and still is. In fact, I wrote in my book that it's like the only thing I can really or the biggest thing I think about that defined my childhood was we weren't just evangelical Christian. We were Southern Baptist Mm. and everything that that means. So incredibly disembodied, very, very, very white. In fact, exclusively white, a tradition that, you know, is pretty rooted in hell exists and most people are going there. Make sure you're not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I... I know now, and this is something I even ended up trauma processing with my former therapist, was that I remember my kind of conversion experience when I was seven years old and I was sitting in my pastor's office and didn't really want to be there. It was kind of a whole, I just asked a few questions and they shuffled me into the room like, she wants to be saved. Didn't, didn't want to, (laughs) but they like pitched the whole spiel to me um and i'm seven so no i don't really understand so manipulative yeah it's very it's very it's abusive honestly what i know now is that was the first moment that i and this is what i trauma processes it was the first moment in my life that i actually betrayed my body betrayed my body that's uh powerful especially for a seven-year-old but uh, honestly you're, you're gonna have to tell me what that means anna jane that's really interesting This is really like the crux of Jamie's whole spiritual journey um, and to becoming a witch. It's about reconnecting with her body as kind of the center of her spirituality and really listening to her body and what it's telling her throughout her traumatic evangelical Christian childhood and beyond. And for her, it was telling her that the divine was found in Mother Nature, not the Baptist church her father had chosen for her. Everything in my body was saying, absolutely not. And not just no, I, I don't want this, but it was a deeper like, no, this can't be God. 
Because my whole experience of my relationship to the idea of the divine had been exclusive to my relationship to nature and to the outdoors and to the earth. And so when they're suddenly telling me, and I guess I had some Bible stories about this nice man named Jesus, but suddenly they're telling me that this construct created these incredible consequences and everything in my being was like, that's not, no, like that's (laughs) not the guy I know or the person I know or the being I know or the relationship that I have with this idea And so I really wanted to say no, but I didn't feel like I was allowed to. And all the consequences of, will I belong with my family anymore? And all those things were racing through my head. And so I just said yes. And I prayed the prayer. And then I walked down the aisle the next Sunday. And then I got baptized. And I have a picture of myself from the morning of my baptism in my little, little, tiny, little, tiny me in my tiny robe. (laughs) And I actually keep it in a certain space on my desk at my home. And I had it there when I was writing my book because I was like, I'm writing this for her because she knew it. Mm. Like she really, really knew it. And I didn't realize until much later in my life, I actually get a choice in the matter. And so I take it after that at some point, um, she left the Southern Baptist church and somehow made her way to witchcraft. I think a lot of people think of witches and witchcraft as this sort of evil thing that we think of based on Disney movies or like me and Jamie, who grew up in the evangelical church, were really indoctrinated to, to view witchcraft as Satan worship. But it's actually this really beautiful ancient pagan religion or spirituality that's essentially the worship of nature. It really is about nature being holy and this earth we live on being holy and our bodies being sacred. It's often combined with goddess worship or the worship of the divine feminine, which is where we get the term Mother Nature. Witches, even though they're often in stories or movies kind of the bad guy, they were actually in a lot of cultures and traditions kind of the original healers. They were the wise women who would, you know, help people get well and and kind of provide herbs. And yeah, I just thought it was really fascinating that they've got such a bad rap, but they were in, in a lot of ways kind of the original healers. As a mom, I will say that is very different than the fairy tale and Disney script that we are handing our children almost as a reflex. And so I appreciate this refreshing new perspective on this. And it sounds to me like it has a lot to do with the connection to nature and seeing ourselves as part of, of nature and the divine feminine, which is a tradition that has been lost in a lot of our spiritual traditions. But first and foremost, it sounds like that's that's really at the center of this. It's really fascinating because it is about this connection to the earth being holy. And it's something that, you know, Jamie kind of intellectually and spiritually came to understand later in life. But even as a child, you know, nature was where she found home and, and felt held and comforted. Her family wasn't really a safe place. Her parents were abusive and manipulative, and she didn't have a good relationship with her half siblings. And she also was bullied in school. And so she spent a great deal of her time in nature and really kind of befriended nature as her family. And so she would just come home from school and she'd drop off her backpack and go outside and climb trees and be out there by herself until dark, you know, kind of safe and held by Mother Nature. Nobody showed it to me. Nobody taught it to me. It's just where I always went. And part of that, I think, is that people were really scary when I was younger. Um, In fact, I've had a few moments both historically in therapy and then recently in some like group communication settings where I've been asked the question um, when I've been contextualizing some things about my background, who did you have when you were younger? Or even the very specific question, who who raised you? Mm-hmm. 
And my very honest, unfortunate answer is nobody. So people were scary, and so nature was safe. I think maybe I could tell myself this weird story like, oh, I just gravitated towards inanimate objects. But to me, nature is always very much alive. And that's why I think I went to it rather than um, maybe finding solace in something that was that felt less alive. I felt very held. I felt very comforted. I obviously know a lot more now actually being a witch and then having some other experiences where I'm like, you are alive. You were holding me. You've always been holding me. You know, I can relate to that feeling. I have moved out to the woods in the last couple of years, and I every time I walk out my door into the forest, my skin sort of feels all tingly, and I just have the sense of being connected to this place. And I think anyone who's been in awe at the Grand Canyon or um, standing at the beach looking out across the ocean has had this kind of universal experience of feeling held by the natural world, and that's what drives a lot of of us who are advocates who are working to protect this planet that we love so much. So once you have that connection, it's a powerful motivator and something that is also very sustaining. I've always, you know, spent a lot of time outside in the mountains and also on the Gulf Coast where I live by the sea. After the election, when I went through a pretty dark, depressive episode, I spent a lot of time just sitting outside by the water. And I had this one really specific memory during that time, kind of the darker moments of it. Of sitting by the sea and seeing like the pelicans all around me and the clouds and just like the movement and the life of this earth and feeling really held. And I even remember kind of hearing or feeling this sentiment of like, you're going to be okay, you're going to get through this. And I didn't think of it at the time. I thought it was sort of just my subconscious talking to me. But I really hearing Jamie talk about it, it's like maybe it was Mother Earth kind of um, holding me in a moment of where I was sort of traumatized and very lost. And I, I love that idea that when we're feeling lost or afraid, that if we turn to the world and, and kind of the earth as sacred, that it helps us and holds us. You know, I bet a lot of people can relate to that feeling, but I expect fewer people can relate to the concept of witchcraft. So I'd love to go a little deeper on that because, you know, finding your connection to the divine in the natural world, whether it's in you know, the Christian tradition of people like St. Francis or indigenous wisdom, that is a common thread across many faiths. And so for Jamie, how did that evolve into witchcraft? What was that process like for her? It was definitely a gradual process of, you know, leaving the Southern Baptist Church and then experimenting with different kinds of Christianity, like my dad's. Um, and I think for her, it ultimately came down to needing to release this oppressive rigidity of more kind of traditional Christian religions. And as the way she describes it, return to her body and in kind of a larger way, the body of the earth. So she practices a modern form of witchcraft called reclaiming, which combines sort of the goddess movement and the divine feminine with political activism. So there's a lot of kind of feminist activism involved and also, you know, activism to care for this earth that's a, actually a part of her tradition. It links ecological destruction and harm of the earth with women's oppression under patriarchal societies, like the one that we are currently in. <laughs> and a lot of it has to do with trauma healing in regards to your body. So really paying more attention to the actual kind of sensations that your body is telling you as a way of sort of a spiritual guide 
Um, so there's a lot of working with the energy within your body and what it's trying to tell you. Jamie considers herself a sex witch. <laughs> Ooh la la. <laughs> I know, it sounds very scintillating and scandalous, but the way that she explained it to me is that all witchcraft is essentially working with energy, and her chosen modality is working with sexual energy, um, which isn't necessarily like the act of sex. It's actually just describing this kind of creative force within all of us. So sometimes it has to do with actual sex, but often it's um, something bigger that's about honoring and cultivating the kind of creative, sacred energy that's within all of our bodies and within Mother Nature, the Earth. I knew from a really young age I was a witch. I just didn't have any permission to say it or talk about it or own that. So when I left my former religious ideology and was not believing or practicing anything for a little while, I had the deep desire to move into the space of witchcraft. But I knew I wasn't done deconstructing, I guess, from the idea of obligation. You know, in witchcraft, there's a lot of um, ceremony rooted in like the wheel of the year or like the moon cycles and things that help us get connected with ourselves and with each other and with nature. But right at first, those looked a lot like compulsory church services. And I was like, ooh, I don't want to come into this practice with any sort of residual. I'm required to do this. There's some sort of external patriarchal authoritarian force making me show up for this stuff. So I took a it took me a little while before I really felt like my body I had a whole bodied yes to a, like having a full moon circle or a full moon ceremony or doing something like a new moon bath or just whatever it might be or, or celebrating and and venerating holding space for the different holidays in this in throughout the season. So my relationship to adopting those um, ceremonies and rituals was very very embodied, very free. Um, and it's something that even now I have a very loose requirement to and with myself that if there's ever like a holiday or something like that or a day that I, heavy air quotes, should hold some kind of ceremony, if I'm feeling that should in my body rather than want, I won't do it. Oh, that's I just such won't a do good it. insight. And knowing you're allowed to as yeah. which like totally free to do that. Yeah. Because yep. I do feel like all of our lives, especially in this like crazy day when we really do have so many things coming at us, like the news, but also balancing work and family and, you know, like activism and spirituality and your relationship with yourself. And I mean, the shoulds are like the worst oh, thing in the world. Yes. And like, and I think that probably does. I mean, I think everybody feels them to some degree, but especially growing up in an authoritarian religion where there are a lot of shoulds. Yes. Like, I think I've only just begun my journey around being able to recognize mm -hmm. that energy and say no to it, yes. you know. Yeah, we all feel those uh, for sure. And probably Anna Jane, you and Jamie in a more profound and intense way than folks who didn't grow up in a background like yours. It's interesting where that part of my background interweaves with my climate activism, because I think as you can relate and, and most anyone who cares about this so much, you know, you want to do everything all the time because there's so much to do. And my list of shoulds is very extensive and can feel oppressive, which is not helpful when you're doing something because you love this world and you want to save it, but you it does kind of turn into this sense of obligation or duty or even kind of oppression and control. How do we pay attention to like knowing when we're just kind of enough and we're doing enough and not feeling this oppressive list of shoulds all the time? I had a really beautiful moment with a woman recently at an event where I was just overwhelmed with that feeling, like I'm not doing enough, which of course quickly turns into I am not enough. 
And she just walked up to me and it was this very spiritual, mystical moment. And she was just like, looked me in the eyes, having very little, if any knowledge of, of who I was other than that I was a climate activist and just said, you know, you are enough, you're doing enough. And it was one of the most profound moments I've had in a long time. Going from a place where you're doing everything out of a place of obligation and to a different place, it sounds like. Yeah, I think being motivated by by love um, and, and finding, finding that connection and energy. Moving from the space of obligation into the space of desire, I think is actually one of the most important practices, aspects, parts of the practice of witchcraft because witches work with the energy of desire, which is primarily, I mean, we just work with energy. And I, I'm not going to say we are all healers because that might not be someone's thing, but we recognize that energy is a force that can be utilized to bring about certain and specific things. Um, and so what you want to bring about with it, totally up to you. For me, my primary things that I desire to bring about with the energy I work with in various different ways is healing and justice, both personally and collectively and on a large, like, earth-based level. So it sounds like for Jamie that witchcraft um, has a lot to do with tapping into the energy inside of all of us and in our own bodies and, and using that to find the strength to heal and protect this whole world. I think that's exactly it. And for Jamie, she found that there's you know, a lot of energy in sex and our sexuality, and especially those of us raised in kind of oppressive religious environments, but also just kind of patriarchal societies in general, we tend to kind of bottle up our sexuality and feel shame about it or feel guilty um, about taking pleasure in in kind of our bodies and our in our sexuality. And I think that's a story that many women can relate to. And it can either be alone or with a partner, but essentially you are bringing, you're working with the energy that's created in your body through an experience of, of arousal. But the kind of point is to learn what your relationship is to the energy, the erotic energy is in your body, so that you end up working with that energy all the time, whether you're in a sexual space or not. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions about like, oh, you're a sex witch, is that I'm just like running around having sex all the time. <laughs> I'm like, well, kind of. Like I'm yeah. kind of like having sex with everything always, all of the time, <laughs> but not in what we've kind of imagined sex to yeah. be. It's all about energy. It's all about desire. You can choose your tool, essentially, as a witch or choose multiple tools yeah. or shift and move in between that. Um, like I work with other – I work with pendulum. I do pendulum energy work. Um, I have tarot duck crystals, such a work. But the one that I primarily return back to and ground in and center in and the one that really just called me back to my body in such enormous ways was working with sex magic. You know, this is reminding me of the work of Adrienne Marie Brown, who we interviewed in a prior episode of No Place Like Home. You should definitely check that out. And she has uh, a new book out or newish book uh, called Pleasure Activism. And it's all about how it is um, an act of resistance to do your work and live in this world from a place of pleasure instead of always from a place of obligation and toil. And um, as an environmental activist who can easily feel the weight of the world on my shoulders, I think it is a conscious shift to move from white knuckling it and, and doing this out of a sense of obligation or toil instead of starting from a place of pleasure. So that's a, a profoundly different way of orienting yourself to the world. Yes, I love that so much. Even as you were just talking, I feel like my spirit lifted um, just to kind of recenter myself 
for you know doing this out of a sense of joy and love and pleasure and desire and not not because of the shoulds or the obligation of it. Um, but I did. I talked to Jamie about that book. She is a huge fan of Adrian Marie Brown's. Pleasure reminds you that you're a person. Yeah, like you're a you are a human being. Yeah. You're here. You're not a machine or an object. Yeah. And yes, there are things that feel very serious and very dire to us and we want to work for those things but that's why that's why that book is so important that's why that idea of even the framing of pleasure activism is so important because you have to remember you're a person it's some of the most powerful knowledge we have to combat these larger oppressive systems of patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy and consumerism we're humans we have to remember our personhood and our humanity The reason why remembering the personhood of our physical bodies is so important is because those systems desperately need you to believe that you are an object or a machine. Your value lies in your productivity, your ability, your output, your appearance. Those systems are desperately trying to convince you that what you can provide to them is of more importance than you just being. There is this... I believe absolutely unmissable link between what we've done to the earth and what we've done to ourselves and vice versa, what we've done to ourselves and therefore each other and what we've done to the earth. Witches historically have been not only healers, um, but kind of rebels. You know, in Europe in the 1400s, when they first started witch hunts, you could be deemed a witch and killed for just being an outspoken woman or even just being a single woman. Well, and you know, frankly, that's the stereotype I think that has carried through into into our fairy tales and our Disney movies even to this day. And it sounds like she's very much taking that back. Yeah, I definitely think that's a big part of the kind of uh, reclaiming witchcraft tradition that Jamie practices. So I think for Jamie and her, you know, kind of spiritual tradition of witchcraft, it's about connecting with our bodies and the energy within us as a way to connect to the greater divine kind of creative life force of earth. She talks about her connection with that life force with earth mother with a deep reverence. And she recently traveled to the Arctic last year and met the Gwich'in people who are leading the fight against oil extraction in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And Jamie told me this beautiful story about feeling kind of this divine life force, this um, connection with our Earth Mother on one of her first days on the trip. They were camping in the uh, kind of literally middle of nowhere, very remote on the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And she left the campsite to get water. I went over to to our water source and basically just had this moment speaking with her. I didn't want to come into that trip and do the same thing that a lot of us have done as humans for a very long time. I would say white people, um, because indigenous people have never had a problem with this. (laughs) Um, And I want to make sure we, we center that as well. But so particularly as a white person on land that has nothing to do with me for so many reasons, the absurdity of going on a trip like this and thinking I can just start drinking the water. And I'm like, I need to ask your permission. I need to ask permission from the earth, from this water. Is that okay with you? Because me and people that look like me and people that are like me for many, 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 many years have just taken (laughs) with zero mindfulness, zero consideration, have not experienced you as a living being that I need to engage with and communicate with. Just like knelt down by the water and just had this whole conversation with her and asked for permission, felt, I mean, of course, because it's her. And she's like, yes, please. Like, and just, and then immediately just engaged with gratefulness and thankfulness. 
I think what I, I love so much about Jamie's witchcraft in her spiritual tradition is this idea of Mother Earth as kind of a divine character in our story. You know, she's a character that we abuse and neglect and hurt and even kind of rape and pillage when it comes to things like climate change and oil extraction and mountaintop removal coal mining. But in a lot of ways, um, despite the fact that we're these sort of unthoughtful, mean (laughs) children, she still loves us and she still has this incredible bounty of nourishment and wants to work with us to heal the brokenness of our communion and our connection. And I think that it's it's a really beautiful thing to think about that as not only healing kind of environmental harms, but healing our relationships with our bodies and our relationships with each other. Well, one thing I'm taking away from this is a reminder um, when the world feels overwhelming to reconnect with the natural world, to just step outside and take a pause or to even get recentered in our own bodies because there is quite a lot of wisdom there that we have all been trained and conditioned to overlook and reconnecting with that is a source of a lot of strength and power. So thank you, Jamie Lee Finch, for that wisdom and for sharing it with us. And thanks, Anna Jane, for bringing us this really wonderful conversation. Huge thanks to the great band River Wireless for our theme music and to our sponsor, the Sierra Club. No Place Like Home is distributed by the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. This episode was produced by the amazing Allison Wilson. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and please also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out. And join us, join the conversation between episodes by following us on Twitter. We are at NPLH Podcast. And remember, there's no place like home. Home.